Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Dentistry Unmasked. I'm Dr. Pam Maragliano-Munez, and with me, as always... Hey, Pam. David Rice. Great to see you. What's happening? Oh, my gosh. So much. It's been crazy busy in the office and in the magazine and all the things. And it's so interesting because most of the time when things go wrong or, you know, anything happens, you always think there's probably a better way to have planned this to have minimized problems later. So I'm so happy to have Paul Vigario from Surf CT with us. Paul, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. Thank you for having me. So David and I were talking before we hopped on, before you hopped on. And I said, I want to hear what Surf CT is about. It's like you hear those names and you're like, it doesn't really tell me what you do. So can you share what you do and why you picked the name of your business? Sure. So to understand that, we got to go back to the beginning. Um, our company was founded at the University of Connecticut in 2003. Um, so that was um, 20 years ago. And we were founded to be a full-fledged IT department for private practices, for doctors in private practice. So fast forward 20 years later, two decades, we've worked with over 12,000 practices and some of the top brands and you know, and most recognized healthcare brands in the world. Um, and today we understand how the technology in the practice can really impact and create the outcome that we want beyond just the dentistry, but the outcome of the doctor's vision, right? So we help entrepreneurial doctors achieve their vision by connecting what they want in their life to their design of the practice, the technology, the treatment philosophies. And when you break down these silos and you connect all this together and create complete alignment, as we say, everything is connected, you can really have a world-class brand that people want, patients want to come to. So as a quick like analogy, it's like, are you running like a local coffee shop where you gotta like show everybody what's possible every day? Or can we get you into like a Starbucks or a Blue Lane bottle where people know exactly what they want when they come to you? I love that, Paul. And I love um, I love that you're, you're a very out-of-box thinker. And I love what you just shared, that concept of everything is connected. So when you look at dentistry, you have this incredible vision that I think is very global that many people don't have. And with all the tech that you bring in and the technology that you know about, like, where do you see the future of that technology and dental practices heading? Or where are we? Where could we be? Yeah, no, we're in an amazing place. We're in an amazing place. I think the, the number one piece of dental technology that has come out um, in the last decade, people will say, well, it's a scanner, or it's a CBCT, or it's a printer. Uh, and I can tell you, it's it's your iPhone, right? Number one piece of dental technology that's going technology, but that has impacted dentistry. Today, um, we're able to connect with people all over the world, all over the U.S., um, and patients are finding doctors on Instagram. Uh, I just came from Nashville. Pam and I have a, a mutual friend down there, and he's attracting clients from all over the country through Instagram. So the iPhone has been a real game changer. What's what's happening in 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 the world and is going to impact dentistry? AI is is coming up very quickly, and AI is creating a level of automation that is unprecedented. Right, so you can get AI right now to, you know, read your X-rays, 
and you can get it to respond to your text messages. And if you've ever tried that technology, it responds better and is more well-written than uh, the majority of the population can write. So when you start to really understand this and you start to understand that as a private practitioner, you've got this ability to, to really create the lifestyle that you want because you are a doctor in private practice and your practice can help you achieve your vision you start to understand that we can look at the doctor's vision for the lifestyle that they want to live, the, 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 the type of life, where they want to live, how they want to live. And we can connect all these pieces together. And where it's all going is automation, more and more automation. And I believe that the practice of the future will be fully automated. And I believe that the one distinction will be the brand that people relate to and that people want. And that's going to be a big game changer for dentistry. What would you say is the minimum that a dental practice should have now technology-wise? The minimum? Uh, that's, a, that's a tough question because, you know, you want to have the right technology. So I don't think it's a matter of minimum or maximum. And in fact, I think the industry um, puts a lot of pressure on doctors to buy a lot of gadgets. I think it's about having a system in place. So I'll meet doctors who have digital x-rays, CBCTs, scanners, 3D printers, you know, you name it, but it's not working as a complete system. And in fact, it's left up to the doctor or the team to turn the stuff on, to scan, to use it. And, and really at that point, without, you know, without being rude, you're almost like a pawn to the industry because you're raising the stock of the industry. Dentistry is a $200 billion business in the US, 200 billion. It's larger than the NFL, Major League Baseball, and the NBA combined. Um, but if you look at a dentist and, and you look at their career over 30 years, has their stock gone up as they work in the practice or does it remain somewhat the same? And then they look forward to selling their practice. So they're a little bit of a pawn. So instead of looking at it as like minimum technology or maximum technology, I would say we start with the vision and we build a system that drives that practice forward. I'll give you a little analogy. You could be the best black limousine driver there is. You could, you could have a brand new Escalade. You could pick people up on time at the airport. You could have water. You could keep the car clean. The minute I start to apply technology to that and I develop the Uber app, you now work for Uber, period. So we're living in a world where it's not so much how much technology can I add, but is has anyone given this thought? Has anyone asked me what I want in my life? Do I want to practice chair side? Do I want to be outside the box? Do I want my practice to work for me or do I want to work in my practice? And there's no wrong or right answer. But just because your colleagues have to report Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday, to make it happen. And they've got to be there from nine to six. If that's not what you want, or you want some variation of that, it's really a matter of figuring out what it is that you want for your life and how we can assess what you currently have, but ultimately put it into a system that creates automation so that your practice works for you. I think doctors going to work is one thing. And I think the practice working for the doctor is a completely separate thing. And I think the industry's done a really good job of having people build practices to work in. And when you're doing that, you're raising the stock of the industry, not your own stock. 
Well, let me ask you this, because it sounds like it would make more sense and be easier to call you when you found a building and you haven't even, you know, constructed anything for this practice so that you could be part of a greater plan. But the reality is many of us join practices as associates or take over an existing practice. Sometimes these practices are really freaking old. And (laughs) now you have to, you know, try to update systems as you go. And I think when you have student debt, you now have practice debt, maybe even real estate debt, and now you want to start implementing systems, kind of starting from scratch may or may not be a reality for some dentists. So I guess what I'm saying, the minimum and like what should all practices sort of have, but how do you get systems in place if you don't have that flexibility to just call you before any walls go up? Yeah, you start you start to you know surround yourself with people that really understand systems, right? And I would say you start to think outside the box. Um, so there's this conception that this is expensive. And the reality is, it's more expensive not to have systems in place. Um, the one of the number one expenses in a dental office is is human resources. And if you look at your front desk, it's designed for failure. You have the front desk on full display. There's a waiting room there. There's conversations happening, but yet there's people on the phone trying to get a hold of the insurance company. Someone's got a question about their copay. So coming into a practice that is dated, let's say it's dated or you know, you've acquired it, and just pausing and surrounding yourself with the right people, reaching out to David, reaching out to myself, you know, having a conversation about what your vision is, and then really understanding what we can do. It's actually more cost effective. So one of the first things we do in outdated practices is we completely eliminate the front desk. We shut it off and we just kind of remodel very lightly the front area. It's usually a 10 to $15,000 remodel, very light, but automatically you've created a lounge and you've given your, your front desk the room to have a business office and to really do the work. And then with today's technology, instead of having two or three, you can put two, three, four, five people at the front. The more you put, the more survivability they're trying to figure out. Um, but the minute you shut that off, you could run your whole practice with one or two, two people that are focused on what they're trying to do, whether that's get patients through the door or talk to the insurance company versus, you know, jack of all trades, master at nothing, which is how most front desks operate. So even if you have an existing practice, Um, and it's not the most modern, there's this misconception this is expensive. I can tell you that dental technology, like a CBCT, is way more expensive than taking a deep breath and surrounding yourself with people that understand how to automate a practice and starting that journey. Because everything that you do towards that journey is going to give you a 10x return, whereas a lot of the equipment that is deemed dental technology I don't think gives you a 10x return. It gives you something to do while you're at your practice. I mean, you're working on it, right? So it's very different. I get that. And, you know, you know, you, we talk a lot with, you know, young dentists about, you know, buckets of people and process and production. And, and we always start with people and that human sort of capital that you referred to, that's a, a giant invest. So if there are ways to be, more effective with our teams and get people doing the right things on that process side, then turns out there may be some money left over to do a lot of these things. Paul, you mentioned like starting with systems and, you know, building that foundation. And I love that with technology, like 
changing so rapidly. How do you set up systems and practices, you know, for the future, knowing like this might plug in for the next couple of years and it might need to be unplugged. Like how do you help people keep up or sure. get ahead? Sure. Well, the first thing, just like good dentistry, it's all about starting with a solid foundation. So if you were doing um, implant dentistry, you want to make sure you have bone there so that, that that implant could last. And what we like to do is when we connect with clients, again, first understand their vision, but when we actually start doing technology work, we like to use Apple and Mac products because Ashish Patel, who we were just talking about in Nashville, he got a system from us four years ago. It's an all Apple, all Mac system, and he'll be good for about 10 to 15 years. So I won't hear from him on any IT issues till um, 2040, 2040. And so what does that allow? That allows us to be creative and to live in growth and to, to live in, in, in vision and for him and I to share a flight from LA to Nashville and have great conversations about what's possible. But if you're operating in a standard PC setting, I can tell you right now, if you get a brand new PC, start the clock, it's dead in 36 months. And so that's one thing when you get one for your home, but that's another thing when you put one in a business setting, it takes two months to kind of settle in with the practice management, get all the, the kinks out. And now, you know, basically within 24 to, to 30, 33 months, you're going to have to replace it again, or it's just going to be a big you know, hiccup for you. So a lot of offices are really, you know, operating in survival mode where the technology is just, they're just trying to get through the day. And what I'm talking about is getting you out of survival mode and getting this stuff to work for you, to generate revenue for you. Imagine not going to your practice um, and having it generate revenue. We started working with these 30 year old uh, doctors, two, two young doctors, 33. They spent eight days with me um, two weeks ago in LA. And on day four, during breakfast, one of them turned to me and was like, just thank you. Thank you for everything. And I said, what are you talking about? And he's like, we're not in the practice. We're in, a, you know, we're in LA for eight days. I'm looking at the, the new patients. I'm looking at how, how things are going on in the practice on my iPhone. And I can't begin to thank you enough. And he got emotional that he could be outside of the box he could be outside of his practice for eight consecutive days and the practice was actually growing and thriving. And that to me was it's just so shocking to think that that was so profound for him. But I saw the emotion in his eyes and his partner was there and they were just so happy. And, and it dawned on me that the industry in dental school doesn't teach dentists this. They, they teach you like, hey, get excited about your startup. They call it a startup. I don't, I'm not sure what we're starting a lawnmower. I don't really understand that, but they call it a startup. They get you really excited about that. And then you start to work. And then if you're not careful, 20 years go by and you look back and you say, what the heck happened? What happened? So, you know, we start with Max because it creates this 10 to 15 year foundation that is really, really amazing. And if you've got, you know, an Apple watch, you could walk into operatory two and you would know that Pam's there. Cause as soon as you walk in, I just look at my uh, Apple watch and it says you are an op two and Pam is sitting here and I could say, hi, Pam, I'm Dr. Paul. So tell me what brings you in today. But the reason why I can do that is because the technology in that operatory created what we call story time. So it told Pam a story about what was going on in her mouth, a story she could relate to, a story she could connect to. 
And when I ask her what brings her in today, she's going to tell me exactly what she wants. And that's how Starbucks works. Because if you ever told your grandparent that you pay four, five, six, seven dollars for a cup of coffee, they think you're nuts. But you go into Starbucks and you tell Starbucks what you want. And so when you have the right foundation, you have the right technology, you have the right story time, patients will want to come to you. And when they get there, they'll tell you exactly what they want. I want veneers, I want Invisalign, I want whatever it is. And at that point, these systems start to empower young doctors to really thrive and grow. And you as the entrepreneur and doctor can choose whether you wanna be in the practice or not. <laughs> but David, if, if we start with PCs, we're already like, we're already playing the industry game and we're already like on our back heels because you're not going to get a lot of life out of them. What do you have to say? So, I mean, we saw Smile Direct Club kind of fall to its knees and, you know, we say, oh, thank goodness for that because we can't stand the concept of DIY dentistry. But if we actually take a look in the mirror, there's many of us that do DIY IT or they go to their, you know, Facebook page and they're like, oh, this guy I went to college with he's a computer guy, he can do my IT, or maybe a, you know, a just a general IT company that doesn't really have a focus on dentistry. <clears throat> what kind of systems do you see get in place? And where are we going wrong? Like, obviously, it sounds like you have like set systems, which I kind of want to delve into a little bit further. But I feel like, you know, what are we doing? Like, what's like a big mistake that you're seeing happen? And then how do we undo it? And what like, what's the overall you know, I would imagine it's more costly to fix something that goes really badly than say, you know, um, just kind of doing it right from the beginning. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes that's going on is, you know, when a young doc gets out of school, you've got, you know, and I, I joke around, I'll say it's one of the mobs, but you know, you could call it whatever you want. You have someone from one of these big houses, you know, join, let, you know, meet with them. And, and if you're practicing, you know, you got the wise guy who stops by once a week um, and he's your friend, but that's where you're getting your advice from. So really think about it. Like you're getting advice on how to build a practice from a supplier, like really process that, right? Like I just designed a brand new house and that would be like me going to restoration hardware and asking them to design my house. And I say that because my house had all these walk-in closets that we built and every room has a walk-in closet. And when Restoration Hardware came out to do furniture, they had these big wardrobe chests that they wanted to put in every room. And I said, why are we putting wardrobe chests in every room? Oh, it's great at the end of the bed. And I said, we have huge walk-in closets. And so the minute you took those chests off, the, the quote went down $20,000 per bedroom. So you're at six bedrooms. I'm down $120,000 just for taking this chest off that I would never use. But these offices are getting designed by these houses, these supply houses, and they're not getting designed to work for you. They're getting designed to sell you chairs and steering centers and scanners and all this stuff that you just don't need or maybe don't need at that moment or to that degree of when really what you need is to build something that is going to serve the lifestyle that you've worked so hard to, to get because you're paying your dues as a student and then you get out and you pay your startup dues and then you pay your startup dues and then you've got to modernize and you pay those. And like I said, 20 years will go by. So it's just really how, how controlled this industry is. I, 
I recently had a meeting with one of the Fortune 500 CEOs and I was showing them how we do this for practices. And I said, isn't this better? And he turned around to me and he said, Paul, better for who? Better for who? We're a publicly traded company. We have stockholders. We can't serve a doctor the way you serve them. We, we have fiduciary duty to our stockholders. And so when you start to, if you just Google fiduciary duty and you just start to understand the legal term of how a publicly traded company has to serve their stockholders, these companies do not serve doctors. In fact, when I show them a better way, they admit that it's better and they want to buy us to stop us. They don't want to buy us to enhance us. They want to buy us to put us on the shelf because they have a fiduciary duty to keep the status quo because guess what? Look up their stock. It's gone through the roof. So doctors are really getting the wrong advice and the industry is very powerful. Listen, you're operating a $200 billion industry, like process that. And when I tell people that a lot of doctors don't, a lot of dentists don't even realize that's the size of the industry. It's bigger than all of the major league sports combined in the U.S. because not everybody's a sports fan, but everybody has a dentist. So right off the bat, how the dental practice is being built, they're being built exactly the same way they were like in 1990, but yet we're in 2024. And in the 1990s, you'd go through a toll and that little toll gate would come down and you'd pay a person, by the way, that's your front desk person. And they were moody. They were always told people, I remember they were always moody. And I'm like, why are they moody? Well, they're like thousands of cars just giving them a dollar, right? And they're just giving you change and, and maybe like you throw it in the basket. But today, today, we drive through a toll at 70 miles an hour. There's no moody person. There's no human, you know, human resources there. And it's a great, it's a much better experience. So if that technology is available, if AI is available, if the Apple wallet is available, if all of these frictionless automated services and products are available, why do dental practices look exactly the same today, even the new ones being built, if you're not careful, if you don't get the right advice, why do they look exactly the same as they did 20, 30 years ago? So this is gonna blow your mind, but when you don't go the industry path and you actually take the time to do your homework and your research and you connect with the right people, you could build a new practice for 40% less than these other practices, right? And the, the most important part about it is that this practice will actually work for you. It will generate revenue. Hashish was in LA too. And we're on the plane and I'm like, how's the practice going? And he pulls up his iPhone and he's got our system. And he's like, look at this. Look at these patients. Look at this revenue. I go, when was the last time you were there? He's like, I haven't been there in a week. I haven't been there in a week. And I'm like, dude, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. So, all right. Can I tell a fun story that relates to Tobos for a second here? Sure. When I was an undergrad, I worked as a toll taker for my summer job at the Peace Bridge between Buffalo, New York, and Canada. And you're so right. Most toll takers, not happy people. Now, I got a little innovative myself and started this. So they had the little, you know, modern technology then was the track that every ax set of axles that came over <clears throat> let you know how much to charge people. So I can admit this now all these years later, I would count axles to figure out how I would collect extra money so I could give it away 
to all the 70 to 80 year old bingo ladies who would drive from Buffalo, New York to Canada and play bingo three times a day. And they never won. So I would always give them their winning free trip to Canada to bring the fun to tolls. So I don't know how that fits, but I had to throw that in there because it was the greatest summer job ever. (laughs) Well, it does fit. It it fits because if you wanted that job today, that job is not available today. True story. But if you looked at one of those white layouts that one of these companies will give you for your new startup, if you looked at the layout with the waiting room and the operatories and the lab and all of this stuff, if you looked at it when you took that job and today you asked for the same layout, they look exactly alike. They look exactly alike. Because if I let Restoration Hardware design my house, they wouldn't build walk-in closets. And they would build a lot of bedrooms and they would build small bedrooms so they could sell me more beds. They want to sell me more stuff. You don't let the furniture place design your house. You design your house to be modern and sophisticated and be ready for the future. So when Pam says, where do we go wrong? How do you let suppliers design your practice? You are, you are becoming endangered servant to them. You are you are now at that moment working for them under the guise that you're working in your practice, but really the practice becomes a jail, it becomes a box. It, it, like it's the only way for you to generate revenue. But as a true entrepreneur, you should be able to build a practice that works for you. You shouldn't look forward to, to selling your practice so you can retire. You should look forward to having a practice serve you and, and inv- empower you. And ultimately when it starts to empower the doctor, guess what? It's empowering for the team. It's empowering for the associates. Where do you think it's easier to make a cup of coffee at Starbucks or at a local coffee shop? Where do you think it's easier to work? Starbucks has the systems. So, but um, you know, look, when the CEO turned to me and said, Hey, we know that if dentists generate more than 3 million a year, in revenue, they start to have more options. And I said, okay, okay. Now I don't want to get into it on this podcast, but look at people's slogan. Their slogan will tell you a lot. Their slogan will tell you a lot. Like look at these companies slogan. They don't say we're going to empower you. Some of them say rely on us. We got you. you well, really- it's, yeah. it, it sounds to me though. I mean, you can't have a dental practice without chairs and without a steri center and without these things. So it sounds like, I mean, I speak dental and I'm sure a lot of dentists out there can relate hopefully with me in the sense that, you know, you've got to come up with a large treatment plan. You know, I'm a prosthodontist. I'm going to work with other specialties and I'm going to serve as the quarterback for the case. So are you advocating for IT or for you know, technology systems to be the quarterback for the rest of the practice, because obviously you still need these other things. No. Yeah. You need these things, but, but technology inspires design and then design inspires technology. So technology today is not an afterthought. It's the first thought it used to be 10 years ago. It used to be an afterthought. So that's actually Pixar. Pixar became the number one studio. They came out of nowhere. When we were growing up, there was no Pixar. There was Disney. There was Warner Brothers. And Pixar says that technology inspires design and then design inspires technology. So yes, you do need all these things, but if you have the right technology and you don't need a big waiting room, you don't need a front desk, you could could create a practice that has points that are frictionless 
right? And I'll give you an example. My daughter uh, broke her leg last summer and we had to go to the doctor. She was jumping on a trampoline. We had to go to the doctor and, and you know, and get a cast on her. And on the way out, and it was, you know, it was like a stressful situation. On the way out, my father turns to me and says, wow, that doctor really likes you. And I said, why are you saying that? He goes, well, we got in really quick and he didn't even charge you. And I started smiling and it felt good that my dad thought that. And it felt good that nobody asked me to take out a credit card while my daughter was in pain because she needed to be put in a cast. But I smiled because I looked at my phone and I had a $4,500 Apple Pay charge automatically on my phone because we built this doctor's system and it just was frictionless. So what I'm saying is, yes, Pam, you need those things. But if you can create a frictionless experience, you're going to have happy patients. You're going to have patients that are like raving fans. My dad became a raving fan of the doctor because of the experience that he had. Now, there'd be nothing wrong with him saying, hey, I know your daughter's in pain. It's 4,500 bucks. I need your credit card. Like there'd be nothing wrong with that. But in, in 2024, like psychologically, it's like I got to pay him to get my daughter out of pain. Now he should get paid, but the ability to do that in a frictionless way really changes the game. And my question is, do you need more chairs? Do you need bigger series centers? Or do you need to rethink how the practice operates? Because we're in 2024. It's a completely, like the possibilities are completely different. They're completely different. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm sad to say we're, we're running short on time. So I have one final question for you. Uh, so I got the CT of Surf CT, where that's from now. Where'd you get Surf? Yeah. So it was just, it was just the name of the, uh, uh, you know, of our, our, like my project. Right. So when I was at UConn and, you know, and I, I wrote this paper and on how to put it together, the name of our group was called surf CT. That was it. And we got a grant the university loved the idea because they saw where the technology was going. We got a grant for $200,000 from the state. I was 20 years old. Um, I actually got in trouble like a week later because I was having a beer and I was only 20, not 21. So almost lost that grant long story at UConn. But um, but that's where Surf CT uh, comes from. So yeah, it was our our college project. So that was pretty cool. I love it. I love the vision. I love to start there. I love the ability to storytell. I love technology as the foundation that drives the innovation and drives everything else. And I love systems. So Pam, I got to just shout out friends of ours, Soulmatics. Um, because I agree, like if we start with the vision and then we pull all the right systems in, we're going to have them on all the sides that we've been talking about so far. And I will tell you one for me that we've enjoyed in our practice over the years is just end to end water. So shout out to you. So medics, thanks for hanging out with us, uh, and, and being a sponsor for this particular episode, but Pam, last words, final thoughts. No systems are everything and try to have be innovative, you know, think about, you know, something simple, like not really simple, but like Walt Disney, that guy had a vision and that vision has gone on for a hundred plus years. So, you know, be creative, dream, do these things because I don't know, I like freaking love my practice and I love dentistry and I want everybody to love dentistry as much as me. And I think it comes down to, you know, what's important to you and finding your vision and creating systems and watching them work for you. It's just, so special to see something that starts as an idea, you know, create profit and create happy patients and healthy patients and happy teams and all the things and, you know, beautiful communities. And it, it really does have a ripple effect. So 
Paul, thanks for your time, man. This was awesome. Thank you, David and Pam, for having me. I really appreciate it. It was great. Thank you. Well, gang, uh, till next week, Dentistry Unmasked. Pam, great to see you. Paul, thanks for being here. Cheers, guys. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.